Caesars Sportsbook is the only sportsbook app with Caesars rewards. That means win or lose, every bet brings you closer to the types of perks only Caesars can offer. Like hotel stays at over 50 iconic destinations, bonus bets, daily profit boosts, tickets to the game, dining, and so much more. Whether you're a new or existing customer, Caesars Sportsbook is always rewarding. Must be 21. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Caesars Sportsbook. Don't just spectate, participate. In a fast-paced world, every day brings new challenges and new opportunities. At Strayer University, we know a thing or two about getting and staying ahead of change. For over 130 years, we've been providing students like you with innovative tools and customized support. So you can find your way forward and always keep striving. Visit strayer.edu to learn more. Strayer University is certified to operate in Virginia by CHEV and has many campuses, including at 2121 15th Street North in Arlington, Virginia. Hit the subscribe button so you don't miss the updates on the great writers we have coming up over the next few weeks. And if you want to see photos of the studio and the cocktails getting made, check out my Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And please leave a comment. I want to hear about the writers you want to hear on this show. I've been getting a lot of great booking ideas from you guys. Welcome to Dedicated with Doug Brunt. You have just gained access to an exclusive insider's look at the lives and works of some of your favorite authors and hear conversations with the world's greatest writers as they discuss their writing lifestyle, creative process, latest work, and behind-the-scenes revelations. Welcome to Dedicated. I'm your host, Doug Brunt. Today, we're talking with Adam Plantinga. Adam is the award-winning author of the nonfiction book, 400 Things Cops Know which the Wall Street Journal called the new Bible for crime writers. And Lee Child said of it, quote, This reads like a mix of hard-boiled autobiography and streetwise poetry. Adam came to know all these things through experience, more than 20 years on the force. He's currently a sergeant with the San Francisco Police Department, assigned to street patrol. He's now out with his fiction debut titled The Ascent, which Harlan Coben describes as jaw-dropping, authentic, and absolutely gripping. Adam, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. My pleasure. So we're going to have some coffee black today. Hot enough to burn. Yes. Cheers. Cheers. So I wanted to give writers a a brief sense of your writing because listeners should know you are also an amazing follow on Twitter and on social media. (laughs) So I follow you and I get some great stories from what's happening on the job. I do like the Twitter. It's fantastic. And it also reflects a bit of your sense of humor. So I just wanted to read one here. This is a, a double tweet. Uh, from an experience you had on the uh, on the streets of San Francisco. So you wrote, we detained a suspect who matched the description of the aggressor in a street fight with a metal pole. I was able to retain the full cup of coffee he'd been holding just before we stopped and cuffed him because I had the agility of a mountain goat. When it turned out nobody wanted to press charges, we released him and I asked, would you like your coffee back? Would you like my middle finger? He snapped and walked off. Well played, sir. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, the job uh, generates some pretty good material. Yeah, I bet. And here, just one other quick one to also give a sense, because you're a father of two uh, awesome girls. So the tweet reads, vacation problems, getting sunscreen on my daughter, work problem, guy with a butcher knife approaching me claiming he wants to die. <laughs> yeah, there's a stark contrast there. It's, uh, it's two very different worlds. It is, and you're, that is now reflected in these, these career choices you've made, because you now... Uh, have the day job on the street, but you're writing these amazing, amazing books. Um, so let's start, let's roll back to the beginning, though. So you're born in Rochester, New York, but you're really a, a Midwestern guy. 
Yes, although I like to drop the uh, New York part because uh, I think it makes me sound kind of tough. But <laughs> I only lived there as a uh, as a kid. Um, grew up in Grand Rapids, Michigan, and then uh, I was a cop in Milwaukee for a while. So yeah, uh, identify as a native Midwesterner, and um, California's been good to me, but I still feel a bit like a stranger in a strange land there. Yeah, yeah. You moved to uh, to Northern Cal. Your family is uh, is very academic as well. So, I mean, it's no shock, I guess, to you or, or others who know you that you have this writing career. Your, your dad was a minister and a writer. Your uncle was a professor of philosophy and musicology. Yeah, one, uh, one uncle was a professor of philosophy at Notre Dame, Alvin Plantinga, and the other, uh, my uncle Leon, was a professor of musicology at Yale. So, uh, and my uncle Alvin, um, several years ago, won the uh, Templeton Prize for uh, Achievements in Philosophy which comes with something like a 1.2 or 1.4 million dollar uh, award. Wow. Um, and I think if we had known that, we probably both would have spent a lot more time uh, <laughs> on our philosophy books. But yeah, it's a lot of it, academics and attorneys, and then uh, I'm, the only, uh, I'm the only cop in the family. It's, it's not even close. Right, your brother's an attorney, right? Yes. So how did you make that decision to get into law enforcement? You know, I, uh, I guess I wanted, um, I wanted to, a real job, a, a, a tangible job. Um, and uh, I was a, an English major in college, so I thought that uh, police work would be where some good stories could be found, and I, mm -hmm. I think I was right about that. So you uh, knew, was this geared toward finding stories, like you always had this sort of writing side to you, or writing goal? Yeah, yeah, I did. Um, and uh, I, you know, I I knew a few police officers, uh, so they had an idea what the job was like. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, I liked the idea of sort of standing up to bullies, and um, mm -hmm. you know, I'm a little bit of an adrenaline guy, so kicking in a door or two and chasing uh, some <laughs> desperado down a dark alley—that all kind of appealed to me. That's you know, um, it's so fascinating because Lee Child was on here, and I, I think you mentioned you listened to that episode, and he was—he grew up sort of an anti-bully. You know, yeah, very much so. As well. I remember hearing that, yeah. yeah. Uh, did you play football as a kid? I remember, just in your book, the protagonist, who's the cop, Kurt Argento, mentioned he liked football, and I was wondering if you had background in football uh, as well. I did not. My parents actually, uh, when I was uh, uh, in high school, I, I came at about a buck sixty-five, mm -hmm. um, and my parents, and not that I had any particular aptitude, I probably wouldn't have been any kind of football star, but they said, no, we don't want you to play. We don't want you to get injured. Mm -hmm. um, and given how sort of clumsy I've turned out to be, I think that that was probably <laughs> oh, hardly. A, a pretty good call. <laughs> hardly. I, I don't know if this will help or hurt your reputation, but I've seen you on the pickleball well, court and is. the reflexes, the, <laughs> the iron will are, are all there. It's high praise. <laughs> Did you play other like wrestling or other stuff? Because there's like a, a physical... I've, one thing I've noticed about you, you're not showy not cocky not loud you're the opposite of those things but there is a self-assuredness about you both socially and physically like your 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 body is used to contact yeah i uh i i was pretty heavily into martial arts um mm. in high school and a little bit beyond um and i think i now as i look at myself now i think i i have the kind of uh build where you can probably tell that i hit the gym um, and then you could also probably tell that 
I will not say no if uh, pudding is made available to me. So <laughs> I just, I don't want to turn into that fat cop. Uh, that's the goal. Hardly, yeah. hardly, hardly. Well, I do, I do think whether it's martial arts or wrestling or football, there is value for kids to learn physicality, to tackle and be tackled, what, what that's all, all like. It, it leads to, uh, I don't know, just like a, a sort of a self-assuredness and, and an understanding of that world. But I remember... And it's not always getting hurt. I, I had a football coach in high school who would say, you know, two, two guys, two kids were sort of squaring off in a fight. And he's like, the least tough guy thing you can do is pick a fight in a football practice. Like, no one's getting hurt. Everyone's got pads and right. helmets on. Like, no one's going to get hurt. That's not, a, that's not a fight. Well, what's interesting is, uh, you know, when you are in a police academy and, you know, a big portion of the academy is defense and arrest tactics, and uh, especially as new recruits, you have a lot of people that don't really have any experience fighting. So as soon as they square off against someone, even with pads, they just, a lot of them just kind of stand there. Like they don't know mm-hmm. what to do. They don't have those muscles developed yet. And I remember one of our police academy instructors was looking at a couple of people like that and said, you know, this is like watching small animals being tortured. It's just, <laughs> you know, you got to get some reps in. Uh, so in 2001, you joined the Milwaukee police force. Yes. Right? Um, but you're sort of a Michigan, Grand Rapids, Michigan guy. So it's sort of like, uh, I don't know, that whole Midwest. How'd you go from Milwaukee or Michigan to M- Milwaukee? So I went to uh, Marquette University in Milwaukee and uh, loved the town. Um, had a good experience there. So uh, when I said I want to become a cop, I could really go anywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, so I wanted to, uh, you know, to do it in a city I cared about. So I picked Milwaukee. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was a cop there for about seven years. Okay. And then, like Detroit's most famous police officer ever, Axel Foley. Yes. Uh, you you move west um, to the Bay Area. So you joined San Francisco Police in 2008. Right. My wife uh, took a job in San Francisco, so I just sort of tagged along. Okay. Um, I, of course, made the strong sales pitch for us both to live in Milwaukee together, but uh, it may surprise you to learn that that did not work. As you say, the Paris of the Midwest. The Paris of the Midwest, yeah. She wasn't buying that line. She's not a cold-weather gal, so... <laughs> So you always had this thought of writing. Um, yeah. So during these years, you know, 01 to 08 to 2015, were you writing bits in this? Uh, like, is The Ascent your first shot at a novel, or do you have others that are sort of bottom-drawered? And also, what were you reading during these years? Yeah. Um, so The Ascent is my first novel. I do have some bottom drawers. Actually, uh, count them up, five. Five, um, five cracks at a novel? Yeah, and they are unpublished, and for the sake of readers everywhere, it should probably remain that way. <laughs> um, but, you know, it's interesting. I was reading a lot of uh, uh, Robert B. Parker Spencer, a huge fan of him, mm-hmm. a, lot, a lot of Robert Crace and Harlan Coben and James Lee Burke. And what yeah. I found was um, that my fiction writing would just turn into sort of a pale imitation of their writing. You know, I was... Um, I hadn't found my own voice yet, and mm. maybe that sounds sort of counterintuitive, like if your writing isn't whatever you're writing, you know, your own voice, but it takes a little bit to sort of dig it out, I think, um, mm. and it took me a little while, and I hopefully I found it with this novel. This novel, we'll get to this novel in a little bit, but I loved it, I devoured it, I even have a bit of a funny story of my process of reading it, Okay, but, uh, but let's talk about your process of, of writing, like first of all, when given the demands of your day job when are you when are you even finding the time you know i have uh i have every my work schedule is uh, i have every thursday and friday off and then every other weekend mm-hmm. um so if 
uh, on Thursdays and Fridays, uh, the kids are in school or if they're in summer camp, um, I really try to make the best use of that time. Mm-hmm. Um, but other than that, I, you know, just sort of wherever I can, um, you know, I don't really have a tried and true process. Um, should, are you outlining probably... or, or are you no, diving in? Uh, with this book, I, I knew how it was going to start. I knew how it was going to end and I just had to, you know, fill in that pesky middle. Yeah. Um, but I, I sort of need a process. I, I was thinking maybe I could just borrow yours. <laughs> what do you do? <laughs> I need some I, help here. You know, there are far more successful writers have been on the show. Maybe I can re- recommend a couple episodes for you to uh, <laughs> to listen. But, the, you know, of course, the funny thing is, every I, I'm borrowing someone's line here. I can't remember who said this. Maybe, maybe Lee Child. But if you ask 20 writers how they do it, you'll get 30 answers back. And yeah. uh, so it's just it's such a personal thing, you know, whatever works. I mean, in, in your case... Do you find that it's something that's relaxing for you? I mean, you, you, I would think when you get home from the job, there must be some sort of adrenaline come down on certain days, at least. Yeah. Is, is the writing something you enjoy and kind of look forward to? It, it, yeah, it is. And I think one of the reasons why, I mean, the, the novel that I wrote, it has a, a cop protagonist, but it's not a, a police procedural. It's not in, set in the police world. Um, and I think one of the reasons I did that was because I didn't want to come from a full day's work to sort of more work stuff i wanted some mm-hmm. separation there so uh my understanding with fiction is that you know you just sort of make stuff up so i, <laughs> I uh it was a nice change of pace from non-fiction to fiction because i just felt like i had sort of more freedom um i could take the story where i wanted it to go yeah it, it is amazing it has as adam said the protagonist is a a detroit cop and so it has all the authenticity that you can bring to that knowing knowing that world but you you've brought him into this crazy situation which we'll talk a little bit more about um in a minute but do you are you writing by hand or do you type it in uh i i can't do much by hand um mm-hmm. sometimes if i'm walking the dog or uh out and about if i think of something i'll do a just a voice to text to remind myself but everything's mm-hmm. on the computer okay yeah. you know as i was thinking about that question for you i was also wondering like again your character in the book you might come home from the job some days with your fingers so mangled from having done something you can't write or type. You know, I think uh, Kurt Argento was uh, experiencing that a little bit. Yeah, some days are better than others. Uh, there's some injuries that he uh, sustains in this book that I didn't have to do a lot of research for because I had incurred them myself, so I just put them on the page, which <laughs> maybe sort of a lazy way out, but it worked. Hey, that's that's what uh, that's what brings the book home. Speaking of research, though, I know you went to San Quentin, so so readers know much of the book takes place in a high security prison where some of the tech that holds the prison together fails. And so chaos uh, takes place. But And you visited some prisons to do some additional research other than, you know, your own work-related prisons. Yeah, I, I mean, as a, uh, as a cop, you have a lot of experience taking prisoners to county jail, sort of mm-hmm. the local jail. But mm-hmm. once someone is in state prison, the, you know, the job of the police is largely over. Mm-hmm. Um, because they're, you know, they, they've been sentenced and they're going to be there for usually over a year, um, and beyond. So I hadn't been in a lot of state prisons, so I got hooked up with the tour of San Quentin and, uh, it was, this was, this was pre COVID. Um, and it was, it was remarkable. Uh, you know, obviously there's some bad folks in there, mm-hmm. but there's also a, uh, you know, I talked to some prisoners who seemed generally remorseful. For the crimes that they committed um they have programming in there uh they have a you know they have a basketball team they have a newspaper 
um, you know, the goal of prison should be, not that it's an easy one, but to try to release people in society Help better, people return, better, yeah. yeah, better than they were, at least with some sort of skills um, in a better place. So I mm-hmm. think that they're able to do that with some folks. I'm assuming a tour is not available to just anyone. You had to have some sort of special dispensation, like, okay, Adam's a police officer is doing this work. Like, how, how did the tour come about? And can anyone go tour San Quentin? Yeah, I think these days um, you have to have some sort of in. I actually sort of latched on to a tour group of uh, psychology students. Mm. Um, but, you know, obviously being a cop helped. But, yeah, I think unless you're with some sort of sort of accredited group, it can be, it can be tough to get in. Yeah. And I'm assuming, you know, not to get into your story here yet, but I'm assuming... The stories that we hear, like shivs and you know people fashioning things to be knives and edged weapons, like that is even in San Quentin, which I think is a different from the prison in your book. San Quentin is a well-run prison, I think. Yeah. Um, but that stuff still is happening even there. Yeah, I think um, you know I was told that it does, and you know I think what you have in a state prison is you have people who. Uh, are, are smart, are cunning, have a lot of time on their hands, mm. a lot of time to plan things, and you know, no institution is foolproof. So, people get their hands on things, or they befriend someone who can get their hands on things. And um, you know, you have weapons. You have, you know, you still read about prison escape from time to time, mm-hmm. even in, from maximum security prison. So, nothing's foolproof. We're going to take a short break, and we'll be right back. Caesars Sportsbook is the only sportsbook app with Caesars rewards. That means win or lose, every bet brings you closer to the types of perks only Caesars can offer. Like hotel stays at over 50 iconic destinations, bonus bets, daily profit boosts, tickets to the game, dining, and so much more. Whether you're a new or existing customer, Caesars Sportsbook is always rewarding. Must be 21. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Caesars Sportsbook. Don't just spectate, participate. Did you know Bridgestone developed a tire using 75% recycled and renewable materials? Making a difference today for future generations. That's what really matters. Bridgestone, solutions for your journey. Visit whatreallymatters.com to learn more. Every day, our world gets a little more connected, but a little further apart. But then there are moments that remind us to be more human. Thank you for calling Amica Insurance. Hey, uh, I was just in an accident. Don't worry, we'll get you taken care of. At Amica, we understand that looking out for each other isn't new or groundbreaking. It's human. Amica, empathy is our best policy. In a fast-paced world, every day brings new challenges and new opportunities. At Strayer University, we know a thing or two about getting and staying ahead of change. For over 130 years, We've been providing students like you with innovative tools and customized support so you can find your way forward and always keep striving. Visit Strayer.edu to learn more. Strayer University is certified to operate in Virginia by CHEV and has many campuses, including at 2121 15th Street North in Arlington, Virginia. Let's talk about The Ascent for a bit. And I have a story of my my reading of it. So, So the book is told with the authenticity and the instincts of the person who could write 400 Things Cops Know, which becomes the Bible for crime writers, and also with a sense of humor that is uh, the kind of survival tool for hardened soldiers and, and cops. I mean, the, the humor throughout the book is 
is great and authentic. Something that someone like Nelson DeMille, who, you know, also served in the military, kind of has that sense of the gallows humor and, yeah. and can really make it work. And for readers, like, who, it actually is authentic. That is the cop, the, the cop humor that you probably hear uh, quite a lot. So I'm tearing through the book, uh, getting ready for, for today, and because I just can't put it down. So I've, my head is in the Adam Plantiga experience for like 150 <laughs> pages, but then I need to stop and go to the grocery store to get some things for dinner. So, and again, this isn't spoiling anything really of the book, but much takes place in a prison where the protagonist and others are going down narrow hallways and horrific things are looming around each corner. So I go from that to minutes later being in the grocery store aisle. And this woman sort of rounds the corner from out of my eyesight into my eyesight too quickly. Like she's <laughs> hustling around the corner and suddenly is like down my aisle right at me. And I'm like still thinking about the book. And I sort of like my feet quickly shifted to the fighting stance. My hands went up. She stopped short, like looked at me sort of wide eyed and blinking. And I'm looking at her. I'm like, oh, my God, I got to get out of the store. And that's, stuff. that's fantastic. So you were uh, you were in my head. Um, but can you, so I, again, I don't want to spoil anything in the book. And, you know, this knowing that it's in a prison just should just lure people in because uh, that's where it all takes place. But can you talk a little bit about uh, some of your inspirations for the book, either the characters or some of the scenes or the dialogue? Yeah, you know, I've um, I've always been fascinated by uh, tough guys and literature. Mm -hmm. um, and again, I, you know, Robert B. Parker's Spencer, um, a lot of the characters of uh, of George Pelicanos really uh, sort of speak to me. Um, and there's a uh, this was several years ago. But there's a writer named uh, Dan uh, uh, Simmons, who's I think mostly known for science fiction. Mm -hmm. But he wrote uh, The Terror um, that was set in sort of the Arctic. Uh, it was made into a miniseries. But anyways, he wrote a trio of hard-boiled um, detective fiction stories. The first one's called Hard Case. And the main character is just, you know, he's the quintessential tough guy. And mm -hmm. that that series really made an imprint on me. Mm -hmm. um, I remember thinking, I, I want to take a stab at that. Yeah. So uh, I have some of that DNA. Um and you know just being a cop you know i work with a lot of very talented folks a lot of very funny people i mean some of the funniest things i've ever heard in my life have been on the job mm -hmm. so i wanted to um i wanted to try to make the humor not sort of as uh sort of set pieces but just something that naturally occurs during a stressful day like um the things that people would maybe naturally say so have it try to not not try to reach for it so much but just have it yeah. kind of unspool because um, that's what I experienced at work. Yeah. Um, you, by the way, you nailed, not to interrupt, but you nailed that in the book. Because it, it isn't forced. You're, you can't, it's not like just some joke lobbed over the transom. And the whole thing works organically through. And you feel like, you know, you're sort of on this ride with this group. And this is how it is. Like, you're, you're totally drawn in. Yeah, some of the funniest things I've heard on the job have been under high stress. Mm -hmm. And it, you know, it's it can be helpful as a cop because it's a way to sort of reorient you takes you a little bit out of the stressful situation. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, again, I have a job with just a wealth of material for that. How about, so you mentioned your dad was a minister. There's a minister in the book. Mm -hmm. Are there are there real life characters that are, I'm sure no one's, you know, one for one. There are right. amalgamations and things like that. But are there people in your life that sort of found their way as a percentage of some character? Yeah, um, definitely. Um, 
you know, I grew up uh, in the church. Uh, my dad's a minister. Um, I have friends who are ministers, and I actually had a, a minister friend of mine, uh, a fellow named Mark Rhoda, who uh, was one of my beta readers for this and mm-hmm. was very helpful with uh, with fashioning the uh, the minister character. Mm-hmm. Um, the main character is Lutheran, uh, Kurt Argento, maybe... Uh, I tried to make him maybe the toughest Lutheran in contemporary fiction. I don't know <laughs> how many other Lutherans I'm competing with, but that was the goal. Okay. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's, uh, I work with a lot of um, very tough, resourceful uh, female cops who mm-hmm. I, I used um, some of their experiences with, uh, with one of the characters, uh, Julie Wakefield, who's the governor's daughter. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I had a lot of, lot of stuff to choose from all right what one thing i will pull from the story and ask about again not a not a spoiler here but is there any experience you've had in real life of people playing chess with human feces <laughs> as the chess pieces you know that one <laughs> or is I, that just pure imagination no I, I as a cop uh depending on what patrol sector you work there are uh there's a lot of feces around you um <laughs> on the ground uh you know you you know you might have to search a prisoner who's maybe homeless that is is caked in his own feces so you you have to go hands on with it a fair amount but oh boy. Uh, no that i took some creative liberty there uh no chess game with human feces okay but, uh, i just kind of conjured that up but i could easily i mean there are corners i patrol where i could easily see that happening yeah yeah so what one non-literature based question then we'll then we'll return to uh the lightning round here but would you say that San Francisco is a little dicier these days than it was, say, 10 or 15 years ago? You know, that's a good question. I think that, like a lot of cities, you know, like Portland, Seattle, Chicago, we have um, we have staffing issues. You know, we're hundreds of cops short. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of the actual crime rate, um, I don't know that it is. I mean, certain parts of crime have spiked, but I think violent crime, um, you know, that is... that tends to remain more or less a constant, but we we don't have enough cops to sort of throw out the problem mm-hmm. at the moment, and we're, we're working on that, but that's, you know, people don't want to be cops as much as they used to. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of folks with recruiting problems, so that's sort of a reality that I deal with. Do you think day. that's, is that an ebb and flow thing? Like people, you know, in, in the early 70s, they were burning the flag, then in the 80s, they're pro-flag, and then, you know, we're sort of, things go up and down in that regard. Yeah, I Maybe think there's... Be more more, uh, I don't know, uh, admiration for, for law enforcement coming. Have you, like the Rambo, I was just talking about this with, uh, I think it might have been Jack Carr, but in the um, in the wake of Vietnam, everyone was sort of anti-soldier. And then with the Rambo book and movies yeah, and yeah. other things like there's love for the servicemen overseas, that love has not sort of held in parallel for law enforcement, but maybe maybe it will. Right. I mean, I think, you know, 2020 and uh, George Floyd and Black Lives Matter, um, you know, people are taking a hard look at police departments and mm-hmm. um, and that's, you know, we should be able to uh, withstand that kind of scrutiny. We should be able to explain why we're doing the things that we're doing. Um, but I do think that an offshoot of that was that people are more reluctant to get into law enforcement. Mm-hmm. Um, we had... You know, in the past, we've had academy classes with 40, 50 officers that are now down to maybe 10 or 15. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do think the pendulum's swinging a little back the other way. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it's a great job. You know, you have a 
front row seat to the greatest show on earth. Yeah. Um, just have to find, you know, qualified folks that want to do it. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, on to the right lightning round then. Uh, your favorite book as a kid? Uh, my dad, uh, who is a voracious reader, uh, read uh, The Adventures of Tom Sawyer and, uh, and Huckleberry Finn uh, to my brother and me when we were kids. Mm -hmm. And that was just, uh, it's just magical. We were just yeah. transported into those worlds. Uh, when I uh, got a little older as a teenager, I read uh, The Grapes of Wrath by Steinbeck. And that book has a kind of uh, moral brawn to it that I don't think I've seen equaled since. That's really stayed with me. The Grapes of Wrath. I'm going to have to go back and reread that. I think I read it as, you know, assigned reading in sure. high school in like 10th grade or something like that. I'm, I'm going to, on your, with your inspiration here, I'm going to go back and, and read that one. That book is alive. Grapes of Wrath. All right, I'm in. Book or books you're reading now? Well, I'm trying to uh, read in my genre, or at least uh, gritty fiction. So I just uh, finished uh, James Kestrel's Five Decembers, which is just outstanding. And then uh, Dennis Lehane's uh, Small Mercies. Mm. And, you know, he is as much of a sure thing as I think you'll find in, in fiction these days. He's just got that recorder's ear for dialogue. Um, but the, the book that I just picked up was actually a woman you had on your uh, podcast some time ago, Jenny Jackson. Oh, yeah. Uh, Pineapple Street. And when I heard your interview with her, it was so engaging that I thought, I, I want to buy her book. I don't even care what it's about. I just want to hear more <laughs> from her. So I'm looking forward to that. She is great. Very, very, uh, very, very cool. And, and so much experience. You know, I've been a top editor for a long time. And Pineapple Street was really terrific. Yeah. And Dennis Lehane, also great. I mean, he, as you say, great on the dialogue. He can write so well for both the novel and, and TV. Um, name, so you've mentioned a, a number of crime writers here, uh, but I'll, I'll get more specific with a, a question here on that. Name a crime writer or two that most cops would agree gets the details close to the mark. Mm. Uh, the person that comes to mind is uh, Richard Price. Uh, he did uh, Clockers, uh, oh, yeah. Lush Life, his last, he wrote for The Wire, um, and his last book was The Whites, and he, mm. he gets it. His writing is... I find myself nodding a lot when yeah. I'm reading his stuff and to the point where I wonder if he knows more about cops than I do somehow. <laughs> I, I don't, he might, maybe he goes on ride-alongs or he bounces stuff off uh, NYPD folks, but uh, he's, he's yeah. spot on. Would, do a lot of cops read these kind of books or read generally? You know, I'd like to say yes. Um, mm -hmm. I don't know how many cops read. I think they have sort of varied tastes. Um, mm -hmm. But some folks have come up to me and uh, said they've... Uh, read my book and enjoyed it. Yeah. Um, and others have come and say, uh, and said that, uh, that, that they started it. Yeah. And then, but it's and then the conversation like... just trails off. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like how far they got, whether they liked it, <laughs> which is actually pretty funny. Um, is it a thing like, you know, the new Lee Child book is out and people are like, hey, you got to read this one or it's not, people aren't following crime, you know, cop fiction. The, there's some conversations like that. I just mm -hmm. think generally speaking, if I can make a, a generalization, uh, Caps don't read as much as they should. Hmm. How, how about like the Amazon, you know, Reachers on Amazon or? or yeah, I think more shows. so shows. Um, the, shows the, the Harry Bosch uh, series, right? The Michael yeah. Connelly books. But I think a fair number of cops will sometimes watch cop movies and shows and just kind of turn them off and disgust because they get something wrong. Or oh, it's not really like that. Uh, yeah. So there's some of that going on. 
All right. Best excuse or or the most absurd claim of innocence that you've ever heard? You know, the excuse you still hear sometimes and you think it would die a, a sad, sad death. But what you still hear is you'll, uh, you'll arrest a guy um, and you'll find, uh, you know, a firearm or narcotics or stolen property in his pants. And he will say, those are my pants. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, you know, the last couple of people that have said that, you know, it, it's not a defense that works. You know, there's no defense attorney or prosecutor or judge that's going to be particularly impressed by that. But it's almost like they're just going down a list of stuff to say when you're arrested and they're just filling out the box. Mm -hmm. You know, they don't say it with much heart, but they still sometimes say it. Yeah. Um, something you'd like the general public to know about law enforcement that they might not already know. Hmm. Uh, so I think some of my questions, some of my answers to these questions are not so lightning round E, but uh, if I'm if I'm talking too much, let me know. No, this is great. Um, the question I get a lot is, why did it take so many officers to take you know one suspect into custody, hmm. even if that person's resisting? Um, and you know, as the police, we're not superhuman. You know, we succeed because we use teamwork and good tactics. And generally speaking, the more cops there are involved in arrest, the better it is for the suspect, mm -hmm. because you know one cop can. Uh, control an arm one can control a leg mm -hmm. um it's a way to stop you know get them into custody without hurting them which is you know which is what you want mm -hmm. and then you usually have a couple folks that aren't even concerned with the arrest but are just looking out outwards at the crowd mm -hmm. because if you arrest someone on a hot corner and their friends don't care for that yeah the corner can rise up against you yeah and you want to avoid that um so you know sometimes when people come to us and say why did it take six cops to arrest the one suspect, we say something like, well, because seven weren't available. Yeah. The, uh, you know, one thing, even folks on the military who have seen dicey uh, action in a, in a theater of war have huge respect for cops because they'll, they'll just say, look, it's every single day on the job, every little thing, you think it's a little traffic stop, but it might not be. That person might have a gun. It just it's it's ever present every moment of every day on the job, as opposed to, you know, in the military, also, you know, horrific things can happen, but it's not so persistent, you know, every moment of every day. Yeah. I think the best cops have sort of this uh they're in sort of this state of suspicious readiness. Because mm -hmm. the calls you go to that don't look like much can turn into uh you know, the worst college you've been to. You just mm -hmm. never know. Yeah. All right, last question for Adam Plantinga. One piece of advice for listeners on any topic. You know, I was in a coffee shop and saw this up on the wall. Um, and generally, I'm a little skeptical of coffee shop wisdom because it tends to be a little schmaltzy. But uh, <laughs> this one I liked. It said, uh, 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 be kind. Uh, everyone you meet is fighting a battle you know nothing about. Mm -hmm. um, I like the sound of that. I try to put that into practice. Well, that's great. Adam, it's an honor to be with you. The Ascent is awesome. It's going to be a huge hit, and you're going to be a huge star. I'm looking forward to, to more books from you. Well, those are kind words, but before we close, um, I'd just like to uh, offer you some constructive criticism. Uh, what I like to do is uh, accept people's gracious offer to be on their programs and then uh, point out their flaws. People, <laughs> people seem to like that. Uh, I've listened to your podcast I've been, really enjoyed it. I've gotten a lot out of it. But one of your flaws is you don't talk about your own books enough. So I'm going to talk about them for you. 
Uh, Doug Brunt, for all the listeners, he has four books out. Uh, the first one is Ghosts of Manhattan, which is about high finance in New York. Uh, the second is The Means, which is a, a canny political thriller. The third is Trophy Son, about a tennis prodigy. And the most recent is the uh, mysterious case of Rudolph Diesel, which uh, Lee Child gave a rave review to. So uh, check them out. You will be happy that you did. You are very kind to say that. Thank you for the plug. <laughs> it's been a pleasure. Adam, what an honor. Thank you. Thank you, Doug. If you enjoyed this podcast, please download, rate, subscribe, write a comment. Let me know the authors you want to hear from. I read all the comments. Thank you. Caesars Sportsbook is the only sportsbook app with Caesars Rewards. That means win or lose, every bet brings you closer to the types of perks only Caesars can offer, like hotel stays at over 50 iconic destinations, bonus bets, daily profit boosts, tickets to the game, dining, and so much more. Whether you're a new or existing customer, Caesars Sportsbook is always rewarding. Must be 21. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Caesars Sportsbook. Don't just spectate, participate. In a fast-paced world, every day brings new challenges and new opportunities. At Strayer University, we know a thing or two about getting and staying ahead of change. For over 130 years, we've been providing students like you with innovative tools and customized support. So you can find your way forward and always keep striving. Visit Strayer.edu to learn more. Strayer University is certified to operate in Virginia by CHEV and has many campuses, including at 2121 15th Street North in Arlington, Virginia.